This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. Are we going to have to start sleeping in the same room? No, I hope not. Ugh. Hello and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo, and we're both comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watched season three, episode 17 of both shows, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer's Enemies. As well as Gilmore Girls, A Tale of Pose and Fire. I think these are both nice. Yeah. I mean, nice isn't the right word. I would say they're both important episodes. Yeah, I was entertained, and yeah, a lot of stuff happened. A lot of stuff happened. We're getting a new oven. That's the big news for us. Yeah, we don't want that to be happening, but it's happening. Our oven a while ago just stopped working, and then after flipping the circuit breaker a couple times, it came back to life, but in British. Yeah, in Celsius. We've maybe talked about this before, but then it finally just stopped working altogether. Like, the stove works, the oven does not, in British or otherwise. So they're bringing a new one tomorrow. But it doesn't look like it's going to be able to fit into our kitchen, yeah. so we're just very interested to see what happens tomorrow. The way our kitchen is, like, the fridge is blocking part of the door, so you can definitely not fit an oven through. So we might get a new hole in our kitchen wall or something. Just one of those quirky New York apartments where it doesn't make sense. We got another five-star review. Yes, we did. Thank you so much, Jabbersplat, for the kind words. Just a reminder, if you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we'll give you a shout-out on the podcast under whatever name you leave the review as. We're doing more TikToks. For whatever reason, people seem to love our Gilmore TikToks more. I don't know why. If I had to guess, I would say it's probably because our first multiple million TikTok was a Gilmore one. So maybe more Gilmore people saw that and followed us. Yeah. I also think there's maybe just a resurgence of Gilmore happening because of the revival like five years ago. Yeah. And it's on Netflix. I bet there's just like more young people watching it for the first time. That's maybe true. Where Buffy is just like all these Gen Xers, like, I love my Buffy. Right, and maybe there are uh, fewer of those on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah, that might be true. I don't see other Buffy content, but I'm also not trying to get spoils, so I right. maybe like purposely follow Gilmore accounts. Um, but yeah, uh, TikTok's been been booming lately. We had a couple that, that really got big numbers. We had one that was really doing well, but then TikTok took it down because it like had a gun in one scene, I guess, for like a half a second for a joke. So little time. And it had gotten like a bunch of views and comments and then they're like, actually, this is offending no one. So <laughs> You mentioned that guns exist in this, so. it's we- It was like under review when I posted it. So what were they doing then if not looking for guns? Yeah, I don't know. It wasn't even a real gun. It looks real. We're doing fine, guys. We're doing great. This is what it's like to be a, a podcaster in 2021. Let's talk about our shows. Okay. So this week, we started with Buffy. Stacy, tell us about Enemies. Sure. So Enemies is about Faith just going full evil. So evil. She tries to switch Angel over to evil. She just don't care anymore. She just don't care anymore? She just don't. She just don't. And the gang learns a little bit more about the mayor and his impending ascension. Mostly just when it is. And there's a big old twist. Yeah, that sums it up. Great. So Buffy and Angel, they're coming out of a movie. It's called La Banquet de Amelia. From what I could gather in my limited research, it is not a real movie. I was like, what was this movie? Because they are very affected. I get the impression it was real sexy. They're both very riled up in the sexual manner. First of all, Angel goes to movies? <laughs> also, when did they start dating? They are clearly a committed couple in this episode. Like, I don't understand what changed. Was it the snow? Did the snow change them? 
Why are her friends fine with this? What? How? Why? When? Help. Yeah, like, if they sleep together, it's like people get murdered. So you can't be together. The end. Yeah, nothing's changed. Friends should still be worried. They're kissing in public. Kissing in public leads to sleeping in homes. Yeah, unless we're going to put, like, chastity belts on both of these people. Like, it's not safe, guys. She's worried it's the movie that's going to get him all worked up. And he's like, no, baby, just being with you gets me all worked up. Yeah, I know. That's bad. (laughs) Don't go on dates. Don't see each other. That's where we landed. And then we changed our minds off screen. Buffy kind of is reminding the audience what Angel's deal is. She's like, we can't sleep together. You'll lose your soul. Just because that's important later. But I didn't forget. There is a lot about this curse, and we've kind of litigated this before, but it's unclear, you know, if he has, like, a really good wet dream, is that a moment of pure happiness? Yeah, I mean, she can't keep tabs on that. Well, she kind of can. She can see his dreams. (laughs) (laughs) She does have some dream mojo. But he assures her he's not going to lose control. Again, what does that mean? Like, he can't lose his soul from being sexually frustrated. So what does him being in control have to do? Like, is he going to lose control and have sex with her? I think that's the implication. Okay. Well, I mean, then that's bad, too. Yeah. (laughs) If she says no. Well, I mean, I think the idea is that she would also lose control and just let it happen. Well, they should maybe not go on dates, then. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I think Giles needs to sit down with Buffy and have a Lorelai-Rory conversation where he's like, hey, if you're going to do it, can you let me know first? I'm just curious. I'd like to know when you're having sex. Yeah. He seems big on wanting to know afterwards. They start making out. Faith shows up to interrupt Angel them. and Buffy, not Giles and... <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Angel and Buffy start making out. Faith shows up to interrupt them. It's time to patrol. For some reason, the council and everyone has forgiven Faith, even though she tried to kill Xander, and they're all now guilty of protecting a known murderer? Yeah, it's insane. Why, why is Giles fine with her being around? What about the Watcher's Council? Like, they wanted to mete out justice, like, two episodes ago. She, like, beats up a bunch of them, threatens them, and the council's like, that's fine. She really doesn't want to go to jail, so it's fine. I just want to point out, I think this is a very good episode, but there's a lot of bullshit up top. Yeah, agreed. At Patrol, they meet a nice demon book salesman. He's sought them out to see if they want the books of Ascension, pointing out the mayor would not want them to have these. But he's not going to say any more about that right now. He wants $5,000 for the books. Faith wants to kill him because she's a double agent. Well, I think she also just wants to kill him because he is a demon. I think it's both. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of fair that they would kill him. I think we should point out, though, this is the second demon that we've met that isn't necessarily pure evil. Whistler? Whistler's the first, and I wonder if Buffy hadn't met Whistler if she would just be like, yeah, demon equals bad, much like Faith. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy's not on the up and up. He's sort of a (laughs) shady figure, but I don't know that he's killing people. But they also don't know that he's not. He says he's not. Right. Anyway, Buffy's all about letting demons go half the time, so she lets him go. (laughs) She says he's a nice boy, and she's going to try to learn more about the books and what they have to do with the mayor. Faith has gone to tell the mayor about the books. And he's just being like a real Cuomo, telling her she has a nice face and what to do with her (laughs) hair. (laughs) He goes full Cuomo. He tells her she stresses out too much and tries to calm her down with like a rando glass of milk he pours from a pitcher who's been sitting out for God knows how long. What is that? That's gross. He also like insists that she drank it too. She does not. We don't know that she doesn't. Well, not in the scene. He wants her to kill the demon, get the books, and if she doesn't, he'll replace her. He points out, though, that replacing Mr. Trick was a chore. It was not. Yeah, it wasn't a chore at all. Faith killed him and showed up five minutes later asking for his job. The mayor had him replaced the same moment he knew he was dead. Yeah. Bubby's at the library telling her friends and the watchers all about all of this. 
Giles, what is happening to Giles? There isn't a scene in the last few episodes where he's not like eating or drinking something while he's talking. Is he Xander now? He's always making jokes. Snacks and laughs. That's me, Giles. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the new Xandy. He's like, demons after money. Whatever happened is the still beating heart of a virgin. No one has any standards. Banana, banana, banana. (laughs) He's eating a banana. The funniest of the fruits. (laughs) It's probably true. Even the Watchers don't really know what the Ascension means, and Willow remembers a book where she saw it once from Giles' secret stash. And then Xander has maybe the dumbest joke yet. He asks if any of these hidden books have engravings of frolicking nymphs. Like, I know maybe internet porn isn't rampant yet, but come on, Xander, you're that desperate for porn? You'll stoop to Giles' secret old books for, like, (laughs) engravings of nymphs? Maybe he's looking to summon some nymphs. (sighs) (laughs) This is like, I'm just looking at the photos, but really, it's for the articles. He wouldn't know how to start. Giles finds the book. There's a quote from a pastor in 1723, and it just says, Tomorrow's the ascension, God help us all, and then that town basically falls off the face of the earth. Cordelia comes in and very publicly asks Wesley out. He responds like a nervous little horse. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. He's like, uh, uh, uh. He's like, I don't think that would be proper, but I am free. That's not what he says, but that's the gist. Why would she do this so publicly? I don't super get the vibe that she's trying to show off, but maybe? I feel like she's trying to make Xander jealous or upset. I get that, but it it doesn't really read that way. It reads more like she's just super smitten and can't control herself. Right. And Xander doesn't always act jealous. There is definitely a scene where you can tell he is annoyed by this, but in the moments, he's never like right. visibly jealous. It's clear Wesley would totally jump her if he wasn't at work when she's asking him out. <laughs> yeah. We don't know if she's 18 either. We don't know his age. Maybe he's 18. I don't think so. Cordelia leaves. They're like, maybe we can get Faith to help us persuade the demon to give us the books for free. But where is Faith? Faith has already had this idea on her own. She shows up at the demon's apartment. The books are there. And she just like stabs him in the stomach. Now, he is a demon. Maybe not evil, but kind of shady. So like, is this wrong? It's Greg. Like Buffy might have killed this guy and no one would have had a problem with it. No, this is totally wrong. He doesn't threaten her at any point. He does put up a fight when she stabs him, but she's just like... It's self-defense. If you get stabbed, you're on defense. Yeah. But I don't think like Giles would have faulted Buffy for killing this guy in the graveyard in the first place. I mean, once you find out that he's not a threat, I think that's when it's different. Yeah. If you kill a demon in, like, the heat of battle, you're not paying attention, that's one thing. Going to his house, being like, hey, what's up, and then stabbing him is a different thing. But the show wants us to believe that this is heavy. And Faith kind of reacts like it was heavy. She's got blood all over. She looks a little freaked out. Alan was an accident, just her not being super careful. And she, like, went there to kill this guy. Angel's reading by a fire. I don't know why I hate his hobbies so much. He's just always doing something super artsy. <laughs> Faye shows up saying she's in all kinds of trouble, doesn't have anywhere else to go. She's shaken up from killing this guy. He lets her in, he tries to help her, and then she tries to seduce him. Immediately, I suspect this is her conning him, and it is, but this whole scene is done pretty well, I think. There's so much tension. I kept going back and forth, like, believing, like, yeah, they did show us this, like, weighty moment of her looking at her hands, like, oh my god, I just, like, plotted and murdered a thing. And it's also like they didn't show us a scene where the mayor told her to go get Angel. Right. And you could read the scene where she was killing the demon, looking at her hands like, ooh, I could use this to trick Angel. So I I don't know. I just like really went back and forth. Like I was like, oh, maybe she is really trying to get Angel's help here. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, oh, no, what 
if she like stabs him at any moment. It's weird because to me, this red is her obviously being fake, but I also have seen this. Yeah. So I knew it was all fake. And that was my first instinct. But I did think that was probably true. So the scene was very tense. Mm-hmm. Like, when is she going to turn on him? Right. But she's trying to, like, kiss him and maybe have sex with him. And Angel's like, no, no, I can't even look at another woman. I love that teenage girl who I can't technically even be with so damn much. All I need is books and Buffy. (laughs) But far away, Buffy. Far away. I hope he doesn't read a real good book and have a moment of pure happiness. I know. What's in those books? Nymphs. (laughs) Possibly. So she very intimately says goodbye, and Buffy sees this. Faith reports back to the mayor. She's very frustrated that her plan didn't work. The mayor's like, it's okay. You'll fuck him next time. He's very positive, always. Yeah. He also admits he skinned more than one cat. It still isn't clear if this was something the mayor told her to do or if she had this idea of desouling Angel on her own. I'm guessing we just didn't see the conversation where he suggested it. The mayor's attitude with her, it's interestingly in flux because, like, he said to her early in the episode, like, you know, if you fail me, then I'll get rid of you. Like, I'll kill you. Yeah. But here he's, like, so understanding. Like, well, you gave it your all and I believe you, you know? I agree. I mean, maybe he can sense that she's telling the truth. Yeah. You know, so it's like, well, this plan isn't viable, I can tell. But it seems very forgiving here, whereas he was threatening to kill her a couple scenes ago. I do think it was the mayor's plan. Because then he says, if we can't get rid of his soul by giving him happiness, we'll just have to do it in the most painful way imaginable. So that, to me, feels like he needs this done. Giles and Wesley are just stomped. We find out that Wesley hasn't exactly told the council that Giles has been assisting him. We actually haven't ever seen Wesley tell Giles it was okay to help him. I think he just kind of learned that he's in over his head and Giles knows what's up, so he's letting him help. Yeah, I'm guessing. I mean, he, well, I think that Balthazar incident made it pretty clear that Wesley is way in over his head, like you said. Yeah. Wesley wants Buffy to go find this demon with the books ASAP, but also not start looking until Faith shows up. That kind of doesn't make sense. He says it's going to be difficult to find, and it's a two-person job. It's like, well, just go start then, because she says Faith might not come for hours. Yeah. Then Xander walks in. He's like, found that demon. He bribed Willie for $28. He wants reimbursement from the council. Giles is like, do you have a receipt? Snack, snack, snack. I'm Xander now. (laughs) (laughs) He actually isn't eating in this one. Buffy's like, oh, cool. He lives in this dumpy area down by the bus station. And Giles, again, is like, see, no standards. Any self-respecting demon should be living in a pit of filth or a nice crypt. What? Like, it's funny that he says that, but does that make sense? Like, isn't his shitty apartment a pit of filth? Yeah, I I feel like this is supposed to be a... I don't know if this is supposed to be a joke or not. It felt like it was delivered like a joke, but I didn't really understand the text. (laughs) Faith shows up, not three hours later, and Buffy's real cold to her because of the angel business, but they go to the demon's apartment together. Faith walks in very confidently because she knows they're not going to get attacked. That's a nice detail. Yeah, I didn't think of that. But she pretends she doesn't know anything about the dead demon on the ground, and Buffy thinks that this murderer looks like the killer maybe enjoyed it a little too much. The mayor is having a meeting with Scorpion from Mortal Kombat. <laughs> very, like, creepy-eyed, shrouded dude. Doesn't want a mint. Scariest genie I've ever seen. He's there to take Angel's soul in the not-fun way, using the darkest magics. At school, Willow's trying to figure out what's wrong with Buffy. She tells her about seeing Faith at Angel's, and Buffy's like, I'm being silly. I know Faith would never do that. And Willow's like, uh, yeah, she would. <laughs> but Angel wouldn't. Buffy's not so sure, because Angel and Faith have so much in common, and Angel's so mysterious. And Willow's like, look, my boyfriend's verbal communication skills are shit too, so I understand. Now, shoo-shoo, go talk to Angel. Then we get to Angel's, but it's not Buffy who shows up, it's Faith. 
she's there to apologize for being so forward and then like immediately tries to kiss him again. Yeah. Not really sure why, because then she just immediately gives up on the seduction plan and throws blood on his shirt. Some kind of dark liquid. It's the darkest magic, boo. Oh, is that the dark magics? Yeah. And then the dark magics commence. Scorpion has somehow gotten into the house and Angel's like, no, Faye, don't. But it's too late. Smoke, lightning, squiggles, angels floating in the air. Scorpion vanishes and evil angel is back, baby. <laughs> Your favorite character's return. Immediately just goes to town on Faye's face. And then he smacks Kisses her. Kisses her. Doesn't eat her face. <laughs> yeah, but then he does hit her. <laughs> yeah. Now, there's something I have to tell you guys. Angel's faking it. What? And he does a nice job. He channels his evil self well. I bet it's a nice change of pace from reading and brooding and looking for Buffy at the bronze and building fires all day. <laughs> yeah, he's always building a fire. Every time we cut to him, he's like, I build fires and read books. Maybe he's cold. <laughs> yeah. Basically, Scorpion knows Giles, gave him a heads up. Not sure when Giles told Buffy or Angel that, but I guess they all like make a plan to fake the spell and have Angel go along with it to gather info. I think it's just more interesting to talk about the rest of the episode, understanding the duality of all the rest of the scenes. Right. I feel like this episode could have like hinted a little bit more that there was more going on behind the scenes. It was a good twist, though. Yeah, that's true. So Angel's faking it. He's like, I don't know why you brought me back, but we're not going to be friends. You're a fucking slayer and not the verge kind. (laughs) (laughs) His favorite insult is verge. But he can't (laughs) use that to her. I know. She's like, just chill. I'm friends with the most powerful dude in town, and I want you to meet him. Wesley's leading a meeting for his fearless squad of teen warriors. Cordelia's just openly flirting with him. Again, it, it really feels like she just is blurting it out. And Xander seems more grossed out than jealous. So I don't know. I don't know why she can't control herself. She would not do well as an insult vampire. No. Buffy said she went to Angel's house and he wasn't there. So she must be lying in the scene. Because I'm assuming when she went to go talk to Angel is when they discussed Faith? Willow said she managed to hack the mayor's files, but he deleted them all. So they all decided to go to the Hall of Records. Giles suggests Wesley leads the group. Cordelia's like, I'm in Wesley's group. Giles is like, there's just the one group. (laughs) Xander doesn't want to go. I guess this is where he seems a little jealous. Buffy's off to break into the mayor's office, and Giles quietly tells her to be careful. That's sweet. Yeah. So I'm not sure when he and Buffy talked. Like, did Buffy know what Giles knew when she went to Angel's? I don't think so. Maybe Angel was like, Buffy, face being weird. I think she was trying to seduce my soul away. And then Scorpion simultaneously talked to Giles. And then Buffy and Giles talked. And then Buffy went back to Angel. They don't have phones, apparently. So that's a lot. The timeline here is confusing. It reminds me of like any Gilmore Girl episode. Just like, when did that happen exactly? Because I buy the Angel and Buffy would have a conversation like, hey, I think Faith might be trying to have sex with me. Yeah. But that doesn't explain how they knew. You saw it. Yeah. That doesn't explain how they knew this guy was, like, literally going to come. I mean, that guy wasn't going to be summoned until after that failed. Yeah. Faith's proudly showing off Angel to the mayor. He calls Angel a powerful young man. Is the mayor older than Angel? Yes. Uh, I don't know. Did you just stop yourself from spoiling it, or you legit don't know? Well, we know in this episode that the mayor's at least 100 years old. Yeah. And he's posing as his grandson. I mean, it's possible he was posing as his grandfather, too. You know what I mean? He might be even older, but I don't know that that's true. We know he's at least 100 years old, which would make him younger. Yeah, because we know Angel's at least 250. 350 if you count his years in hell. Angel's fondling a letter opener, and the mayor's like, chuck it at my heart if you want. And he catches it with his hand, pulls it out. Of course it heals. This is new info for Angel. He's like, huh, 
can't be killed, but you don't like germs. Hmm, wonder if that'll be his kryptonite. I really like this scene a lot because I feel like up until this moment, I'm kind of like, why would Angelus like give a shit about any of this respecting authority? Like it just wouldn't. And this scene is like, yeah, he doesn't. Not until he's like, oh, I literally can't harm this guy. Mm -hmm. Can't even torture him. So I I liked that because I felt like it played more real than just what was easiest for the story. I actually hate how this scene ends, though. Does Angel remember everything about being Angelus? Because he definitely taps into it very well. Yes, he does. That's part of his sole punishment. You're right. Angel tells the mayor he wants to help him by slowly torturing and killing Buffy. Mayor loves that. Faith is very excited that Angel's here, and then she leaves with Angel, and the mayor tells him to have Faith home by 11? Isn't that when she starts work? I know, so... What is their relationship? He's, like, very paternal and creepy, acts like a dad, but then tries to poison her with milk. Poison her with milk? She's not me. It was old. She's not lactose intolerant. No, it wasn't chilled. Oh, yeah, it was old milk, you're saying? Yeah. She's a slave. She can handle it. Maybe. One of my favorite things about this season is actually Faith and the mayor's relationship. I actually like that a lot. But this line just doesn't make sense. I like the vibe of the line of the paternal dad stuff, right? But Have her home by 11? Yeah, but it doesn't make sense. So I have to, or at least I'm choosing to read that as a joke. Because, yeah, she like slays at like 11. So it's Yeah, because then he goes on to say like, oh, they grow up so fast. Or like, she's not my little girl anymore. She never was, dude. So yeah, it has to be a joke. Xander's walking, lamenting about Cordelia's affection for Wesley, and he sees Angel and Faith walking. Angel just punches him, like knocks him out. Hilarious, knowing what we know. Yeah. So regular Angel with his soul just smacks Xander for no reason other than what he says. That guy just bugs me. Yeah, I think that's 100% just Angel. I don't think that was Angelus. <laughs> Love it. They're on their way to Buffy's house. Joyce just lets him in, of course. This is the one time Joyce isn't being dumb. I like, know. they're friends. Buffy's told her to trust both of these people, so it's not that dumb, but I'm just still going to hate her a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm on team hate Joyce, so. You'd think after everything that's happened, Joyce would be, like, slightly skeptical of Angel always. Yeah. Like, he's a different thing every time he comes over. <laughs> You wouldn't just be like, oh, yeah, come on in. To be fair, maybe Joyce is aware that she's, like, invulnerable. She's been in how many perilous situations? Spike just hanging out with her. She's fine. Yeah. And he, like, compliments her hair. She just sends them upstairs to Buffy, where Buffy's packing a bag full of weapons. Angel offers to hold the bag for her, which I thought was interesting. I was going to say that. That's, like, legit a nice thing he's doing as her boyfriend, I think. Yeah. But she could totally carry the bag for herself. She's stronger than him, so yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Buffy's also wearing a shirt with a British flag on it. Is it a souvenir from Giles, perhaps? I guess it's just telling everybody secretly, like, she's on Team Giles right now, guys. <laughs> Maybe. Or it's the Watchers Council being like, you're our property. You must wear this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They take her to the mansion. Angel reveals himself. Not in a creepy way. Well, in a creepy way, but, like, his dick stays in. Yeah. Reveals himself to be, like, evil. Yes. So at this point in the show, we think he's evil. Buffy, you should have fucking killed him and you had the chance. Sis, you had a thousand chances. But she knows he's faking it. Right. And they both act the shit out of this. Like, the actors and the characters are doing this very believably. Buffy feels so betrayed, you know? Buffy goes to Faith for help, and then Faith reveals herself. Again, same way as Angel, no genitals exposed, just evilness. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Records, they find an old picture of the mayor. This is where they decide he must be over 100 years old and certainly can't be human. Xander walks in. He's like, Angel's back, and I told you so. Now, upon first watch, I'm thinking Angel's actually evil. 
I figured Faith was conning him, and I suspected for a second that Angel was, like, faking it for Faith, but I mostly bought that Angel was evil. We don't have any reason to believe he's not. Like, there's no, like, wink-wink, hint-hint. I kind of imagine the season doesn't end with him being evil, and I suspect the show Angel, he isn't evil, at least in the beginning. So I'm like, I don't think he's gonna stay evil, but I didn't necessarily think he was lying. It crossed my mind. Regardless, I'm like, Xander, you do not have enough info to go off of that Angel is evil. Yeah. Like, dude hates you. He could have just punched you for no reason, and that's absolutely what happened. (laughs) If he were evil, he probably would have killed you, man. Yeah. Like, I also want to point out that Angel just saved Xander, like, two episodes ago. Mm Mm-hmm. But he tells them that Faith was with Angel, and he loves holding this over Wesley, because he was the one who had Faith Faith. Angel and Faith are prepping for the torture. He's chaining her up. This chain station he conveniently has has really come in handy a lot this season. Yeah, the set designer was like, we're definitely going to need to put in a chain station. It's going to be in about every episode. Angel's like, all our time together, I can't believe we never tried chains. Why would they? They're just going to tie each other up and like read sonnets to each other? They had sex one time and were actively trying not to fuck ever since. You didn't use change your first time? (laughs) I dove off the deep end, honey. I was like, we're using chains. He didn't live in the chain house their first time. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, the apartment just didn't have a chain station. That was the problem. Faith's pumped for the torture. Bobby's like, you don't know what you're doing. Faith's like, actually, I do. I had a really unhappy childhood, and now I get to make out with your boyfriend. Here, watch. And I think Buffy legit doesn't love this. Right. Even though she knows it's fake. I, like, rewatch this part knowing that Angel's lying. And, yeah, Buffy's looks sometimes are like, mm, I don't like that. I just want to point out that our landlord is doing his daily throwing a million bottles around outside. Yeah, we're trying to... Talk through it and edit out the trash, but you might hear it. Faith's like, look, we have all these torture tools. Did Faith bring these? Does Angel just have them? Are these the weapons Buffy was packing? (laughs) I'm guessing the mayor gave them the tools. Perhaps. Buffy points out that when Angel's done torturing her, he'll kill Faith too. And Angel's like, I totally will. I love Maimon Slayers. Faith approaches Buffy with a torture tool. And Buffy's like, why are you doing this? What's in this for you? Thank you. I've been wondering this the whole episode. Like, she loves her job. This goes against her prime directive of killing demons. Like, why would she work for a guy who seems totally fine with letting demons take over the town? It's tough. I have a lot of issues with that happened here. I will justify this by saying that I feel like Faith maybe is just like, maybe it's not just demons. I just sort of like killing. Yeah. And the mayor is going to reward me for doing that. Yeah. Like the watcher councils are like the ones that say, you got to kill demons, but here's a bunch of stipulations and we're not going to pay you and you got to do what we say. Where the mayor's like, you can kill just about anybody and I'll give you things for it, like an apartment. And a PlayStation. affection. And milk. And milk. It's just the shift from like rebel to murderer is just pretty intense. I agree. Also, I think it's one thing to be like, maybe I enjoy killing. And it's another thing to be like, I want to torture Buffy. Yeah. I don't think she's got it in her to torture Buffy. Or even just allow her to get tortured. I don't know that Buffy has crossed her that much. Like, torturing someone that was your friend, like, two weeks ago is so much harder than killing. I think she could kill Buffy before she could torture Buffy. But she also saved Buffy's life two episodes ago. Yeah. So, I feel like this shift to the dark side is just, like, very sudden. A zero to 60. You know what I mean? Like, way too quickly. Yeah. 
But her justification is that she's, like, sick of Buffy getting better treatment than her. Like, Buffy gets the hot vampire boyfriend, the loving mom, the helpful caring friends, the watchers think she's the model slayer, and Faith's just, like, sick of it. So it's kind of justified, but she didn't really start having those feelings until, like, this episode, at least not openly. Jealousy is, like, a weird justification for, like, allowing torture, you know? Mm-hmm. Especially because, like, you know, she doesn't get along with Buffy, but it's not like Buffy is actively hurting Faith. I'm not really shitting on the writing because I feel like they have been laying the groundwork all along for Faith being like less careful and getting more of a high off of killing than Buffy does. Yeah. But I don't know that they super set up the groundwork for her being very jealous of all the stuff Buffy has. Yeah. But I guess we could argue that this was always under the surface and we just never saw it. Well, yeah, because Buffy even asks her, like, I didn't know you had so much rage in you. She's like, I'm just a good actor. So then I'm like, was she acting the entire time? No, because she didn't know she had the option to, like, turn on Buffy and work for the mayor. Right. But maybe she was just pretending things were more okay than they were. Yeah. What if she did just start torturing Buffy? Like, what was their plan if that was the case? Like, I'm sure Angel would have broken character to stop, but she's strong too. Like, could he have stopped her? I guess Buffy's not actually chained up, so it would have been two against one. Yeah, we find out she's faking that. Face like, do you actually think you're better than me? And Buffy's like, yeah, I am. I always have been. You had to tie me up to beat me. And then she tries to get more information about the ascension from her and face like, yeah, no one can stop it. He built this town for demons to feed on and he's going to have some kind of transformation and it's all going down on graduation day. This is where Buffy says the thing about her having so much rage and her saying she's the world's best actor. And then Angel says, second best. Bum, bum, bum. Music plays. And face like, what, what, what? And then Buffy and Angel do the equivalent of holding up like a secret tape recorder. <laughs> they reveal that Buffy wasn't chained. The Scoobies bust in? How long have they been standing outside? They don't really even do anything. They just come running in with like weapons drawn. And then Faith and Buffy have like blades to each other's neck. Faith's like, what are you going to do? Kill me? Then you become me and you're not ready for that yet. And then she kisses her on the forehead, runs away. They all just let her go for some reason. That's what they do. They're like Goku in Dragon Ball Z. They're like, this villain could kill everybody and I'm going to let him go. They had weapons, right? I mean, yeah. not that they're going to kill Faith, but like there's a bunch of I mean, Buffy can run just as fast as Faith too, so. I think she's like in shock. She kind of looks at Angel like too far, dude. I don't know. There's drama. At the library, Giles is saying farewell to Scorpion. He thanks him and mentions the effective light show he put on. Did Giles watch somehow? Did he just hear tell from Faith and Angel? Maybe Angel called Giles and was like, dude, you should have seen it. It was like classic 80s special effects all around my body. Should have been there. We've established if Angel wants to talk to Giles, he goes to his front door. (laughs) Yeah, he acts as intimidating and suspicious as possible. But Scorpion says that the balance between him and Giles is restored now, and his debt to Giles is repaid in full, and not to call upon him again. And we thought that Giles says, I shall, and we're like, what, Giles, don't be a dick. But then we turn on the captions, and he says, I shan't. So we don't know if he's going to call this guy again, but we do know he shit his little British pants. (laughs) That's what that means. Scorpion just, like, disappears into thin air. He fades into the darkness. Apparently, Giles introduced this guy to his wife. What is your life, Giles? I mean, he was the Ripper, so I guess he meddled with the dark arts, but Yeah, I hope we see more of whatever that's about. Was his wife that demon they were summoning in the Dark Age? Yeah, is his wife a nice lady, or is she like a scary shrouded figure, too? Is she like a sub-zero? Snacks and laughs, Giles. 
Wesley's a little beefed that Giles kept his plan from him and that he pitted Faith and Buffy against each other. He's like, I'm telling. And Giles is like, go ahead. We have a rogue slayer. We should tell the council. Yeah, Wesley, like maybe you should have like four episodes ago. Who could have seen this coming? <laughs> and then they're all like, whew, graduation day is going to be a two-parter. <laughs> yeah. And then Willow's like, well, at least Angel's good. And Xander's like, yeah, great. Love that he was good when he knocked me out. And Buffy's like, whatever, Xander. He was just acting. He was just acting. She doesn't believe what she's saying. The mayor's still super positive. He doesn't seem to care that Angel is faking it. Did she tell him that she told them everything, though? I'm guessing she is leaving that out. Okay. So he tries to cheer her up with mini golf and reminds her it's okay because all these assholes will be dead soon. Buffy goes to talk to Angel. Sad version of their music is playing. Even though she told him to do this, they both agree his performance maybe went a little far. I'm not sure if it was like the words he said or like seeing him be physical with another girl, but Buffy wants a break. Something else happens later in the Buffy show. The Buffy show. It's not, I don't want to say it's similar to this because it's not really at all, but like it's sort of a similar conundrum. And Buffy also was like hurt and upset at somebody. And it's like, no, though, this person either did what you said or had no control of what was happening. She's a bit of a Rory. She's a bit of a Rory. A Rory. I said it that way on purpose. Rory. What do you, do you think it was like the kissing and stuff? Or do you think she just didn't like seeing the evil side of him? I think it was the kissing and stuff. But, like, what was he supposed to do? Like, I don't kiss, though. Yeah, he's like Julia Roberts. Yeah, we can fuck, but no kisses. Angel doesn't seem too upset. I feel like other times where she's been like, I don't want to, he's, like, just about to write some poems hard in his journal (laughs) for the rest of the night. But he asks if she's still his girl, and she says, always. So she read that book he gave her, or Harry Potter. (laughs) Their love is just so whiny. I mean, this is, to be fair, like high school love, you know? But he's not in high school. I know, but that the audience is high schoolers. Like, what would make you guys happy? They're star-crossed lovers. They can't be happy. That's what's sexy about it. Oh, my gosh. And the fires. The fires. And the coats. And the coats. It's also hot. (laughs) They're literally hot. And the yoga. Okay, so yeah, that's the episode. Brian, what'd you think? Is this a good one? You like it? Talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I like this episode, but there is like a lot of moving parts that are kind of confusing. I do feel like Faith's turn seems rather sudden. Mm-hmm. And when I say sudden, like sort of a Daenerys season eight Game of Thrones, like, yeah, there's hints of her losing it, but then she just goes like full Mad Queen there. You sure, know? sure. She's just like, no, I'm going to torture you for years. Like, wow, that's a stretch. It's a good comparison. She drops hints of like her having a bad mom and stuff in this. Yeah. I don't know that we've gotten a lot of that before. And the line, like, I'm a good actor does sort of justify some of it. I think and- we needed more of this like all season. Yeah. But I liked it. Yeah, it was all good. The the ruse from Angel was good. I didn't catch it the first time that it was fake. Yeah. I did, like you, think it was going to be resolved. It Mm -hmm. just seems like we already have a big bad. It's not you. And we have like a second big bad, which is Faith. It was too many big bads right now. Yeah, Angel was like the late reveal of being the villain last season. It's too late now for them to be like, actually, Angel's the bad guy. Yeah, I I figured it was going to be resolved. I didn't figure it was all a ruse. Um, But yeah, I liked it overall. I thought it was a a good episode and it really moved some plot lines along. And really, I like the relationship between the mayor and Faith a lot, like I said. The mayor is like her only source of positive feedback. 
Yeah, I feel like he treats her like a daughter, but she almost treats him like a sugar daddy she's not having sex with. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's just because that's the only thing she knows. Uh-huh. I don't think it's like, oh, that's how I actually feel. She's like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do, and he's not responding how she expects. Yeah. And so she's sort of like, okay, what, what do you want? Wait, you actually care about me and you don't want to have sex with me or use my body? Does he have a wife and kids? He no. always says he's a family man. I Actually, I don't know, but I don't think so. He ate him. I guess it'd be hard to have a family when you're, like, maybe eternal. Still don't really know the mayor's exact deal. There's a lot coming up. I'm excited to find out how the season ends. We're getting close. Yeah. And now for a special segment we like to call... Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us has ever seen. But we're going to discuss it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Stacy, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, on Charmed Season 3, Episode 17, Pre-Witched, lacking privacy at the manor, Piper concludes that she and Leo should move to their own apartment. In the middle of all this, the Charmed Ones come up against a warlock that actually gets stronger the more times it is vanquished. It's like the haunting evil in that Arkham Horror card game. I kind of remember that. You kill it, and you're like, cool, cool, we're done, and then it shows right back up. I mean, really, a married woman and her dog husband shouldn't be living with her sisters, no matter how big their house is. Yeah, if you once you get married to your dog husband, you really should get your own place. And I think we've set up that they have loud sex. I mean, I think that's what I remember from the show. Not having not seen the show, but remember from us knowing what happens. Yes. So, yeah, get your own place. Bark as loud as you want. I bet they move, like, down the street, though. I assume they moved into, like, a house in the back, like a little dog house. Yeah, I mean, Leo picked out the house, and it was not what Piper was expecting. Yeah, she's like, this has one little door, no windows. A bone, only one dish, and it's got kibble in it. But it's cozy. She's not home much. She's got a lot going on with the bar and with her, you know, witching stuff. But eventually they move back in because they were like, this house doesn't work. Let's just have quiet sex. Piper's like, tell you what, when I do all my sex sounds, I'll make them very high-pitched so only you can hear them. And he says, And that means, yeah. But they keep the doghouse, just in case one of them is in the doghouse. Yeah, in case someone gets in trouble. Whether it's one of them or one of the sisters, they got options. Piper and Phoebe, though, are like, guys, we get that you're moving, even though you don't seem to be moving any actual objects, like nothing fits in that little house you're building in the backyard, but could you help us vanquish this warlock we're dealing with? Then they decide to just ignore this. They're like, if we just ignore him, he'll go away. Yeah, they keep vanquishing it, and it keeps getting stronger, so they're like, if we just don't pay attention to it, it'll get sad, and it'll just leave. Yeah, so that's what they do. So yeah, pretty, uh, pretty simple one. I liked it a lot. I like interior design shows, and they did a little of that. Worst episode ever. This has been Meanwhile Uncharted. So then we watched Gilmore Girls. Brian, tell us about A Tale of Pose and Fire. So this episode is about Rory making a pros and cons list about which college she wants to go to. Because she's not 100% decided, even though she's been wanting to go to Harvard her whole life. It's also about the inn catching fire and forcing Lorelai to figure out what to do with all the guests that are staying for an Edgar Allan Poe event. Also some stuff with Jess. A little bit. So the episode opens at Luke's, and Lorelai and Rory have decided to make a pros and cons list for each of the colleges she got accepted to. Which are? Princeton. Mm-hmm. Yale. Mm-hmm. And Harvard. Bing, bing, bing. Spoilers, Princeton barely gets any pros. They're going over this, and it seems like, what's the point, right? Because Rory's going to Harvard. She's wanted this the whole time. And her mother told her that she should go to Harvard and not to go to Yale. But they're doing it anyway, just to, to say that they are for sure going to the right college. Even Luke is like, you know, why would you, you're going to Harvard. The pros and cons lists are dumb. Kirk walks in, 
His new money-making endeavor is to sell self-printed t-shirts with humorous topical headlines about whatever he happened to see that day in Stars Hollow. Currently, his first shirt just says, Babette A. Oatmeal. <laughs> this is something people quote all the time, and I couldn't remember what the context was at all. So I was happy to see it. I feel like it wouldn't have been funny if he didn't have an exclamation point at the end. That was just like, oh my God. He also set up that it's going to be funny, but it's just like something he observed. Yeah, I know. Kurt is still obviously trying to figure out his comedic voice. Um, that's clear. Like he doesn't even justify like she ate it real weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> She's not supposed to be eating oatmeal. Luke is really excited that Rory got into college. He, like, gives her a hug. It's super awkward. He's like, I'm not good at hugs. It's like, yeah, dude, you're not good at any emotions at all. He's the Paris of adult men. He doesn't know how to interact with other people. Because he's her dad. That's the running theory I have. Upon hearing this news, Luke awkwardly brags about how Jess is now the employee of the month at Walmart, you know, which is very comparable to getting into every prestigious college in the country, right? I mean, it's about as good as Jess can do. It's so, it's not the same though at all. <laughs> Just, it's, it's almost embarrassing. Lorelai's impressed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she at least feigns that she is. Luke is like excited to be going to the ceremony, whatever the fuck that is. Like, what, what? There's so many people at it. I've never had a job that has had an open to the public employee of the week ceremony or event ever. Did Walmart just, like, cave to Stars Hollow's, like, penchant for having inane, unnecessary community events? I can see it being tacked on to the end of, like, a required employee meeting. But not, like, that was all the event was. Who would be going to that? Yeah, well, Luke, apparently. I know, but the employees, why would they go? Yeah, I don't know. Unless, like, if you want to be employee of the month, you have to go to these meetings every month. Right. No way Jess is going to other people's. No, but we'll get there. Then we cut to the end and we find out that since becoming pregnant, Suki and Jackson are becoming overly nurturing of all living things, including spiders and a stray cat that she's adopted. Papaya. Papaya is its name. And she's teaching the papaya how to drink milk. Apparently this cat doesn't even know how to eat. Our cat has found a bag, if you hear any crinkling in the background. Is this cat going to be important? Because I feel like they mention this, like, she's getting too nurturing or, like, overly nurturing, and then they just drop it. They find out her baby's a cat. <laughs> what it is? We don't really do any more with her, like, over-nurturingness. Kurt, really? You got to play the bag right now? We do see papaya later, though. We do. We also find out that there's an Edgar Allan Poe Society staying at the inn. I guess there's going to be some events in Stars Hollow. Lorelai tries to make a telltale heart joke to some of the guests who are not pole enthusiasts, and they are, like, not amused at all. But then either are the actual pole enthusiasts when she makes a different joke to them. Yeah. The dude hears the joke, and he's all like, it's just a hobby. We're not Trekkies. It's like, fuck that dude, all right? Bitch, you traveled to a rando mini town and are staying at a hotel and going to repeat productions of The Raven. It's more than just a hobby at this point, dude. Also, the Paladinos either hate Star Trek or just think it's a funny thing to make fun of. Yeah, well, she says, like, well, I didn't say you were freaks. But in a different episode, Luke admits he likes Star Trek and Lorelai, like, ribs him forever. Yeah. But this dude should be laughing at that joke. It is more than a hobby. Like, I love Buffy. I have a Buffy board game. I have a Buffy video game. I have Buffy posters. I actually have a Sarah Michelle Gellar cardboard cutout at home. And I would never travel to Stars Hollow for a Buffy event. Trekkies are at least more honest with themselves than you are, sir. I just want to point out when he says at home, he means back in Wisconsin. We don't have a Sarah Michelle Gellar cardboard cutout here in New York. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't. I'm so sorry if you can hear our cat going to town in this plastic bag, but he's not on the table, so we're going to leave him do it. So then we finally do get to see that Walmart ceremony. There's like a ton of people there. They're all Walmart employees. I'm guessing they're on the clock and that's why they're there. They're getting paid. That has to be it. 
Luke is the only person who is there who is not a Walmart employee. The like Walmart manager makes it clear that like Jess would not even be there himself. So maybe it's not obligatory, except that he gets $200 for being there. He even goes out and says, this is just a little get together, nothing fancy. So why are so many people there? Why is Luke there? Luke shows up, though, like a total douche. And then when Jess comes off the stage, he simultaneously acts proud of Jess, but then mocks Jess again for doing the right thing. It's like, Jesus, dude, I know this is meant to be funny, like male bonding, but you're being toxic as fuck right now. And this def explains why Jess doesn't like sharing or ever being vulnerable. I'm glad you figured out Jess's problems. Like, I legit don't think that that's what the writers were going for. I think they were just like, oh, this is like how guys bond. And it's Mm -hmm. like, no, this is how you create Jess. Yeah. I mean, I think something else created Jess. I don't know that there was any chance of Luke fixing him, but he's definitely not helping. Well, I'm saying that I'm assuming that that's how his parents were as well, or they just weren't around. But I mean, yeah, he's not helping. This is the same sort of behavior that's going to train him to never be vulnerable. Yeah. To lie if that keeps him from showing vulnerability. Like, I don't want to be team Jess, but like, this is not going to make him a better person. Like, I kind of get why he doesn't want to talk to people. I think you can be team Jess needs better father figures. Yeah. Without being team Jess for Rory. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think I think this is supposed to be like, Luke's a good guy. He's encouraging him. I really feel like the writers are trying to suggest that Luke's being encouraging. Right. And it's that's not what we're seeing. When Jess leaves, the boss comes up to Luke and he tells Luke that he loves Jess. But we find out that Jess is working 40 to 45 plus hours a week, which shouldn't be possible since Jess is also working at Luke's and supposedly going to school full time. Hmm. 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 Not really resolved this episode either. No. Then we get to see some of the Poe performances. At Miss Patty's, there's a performance of The Raven. I have no idea why, but Lorelai and Rory are at this thing. I guess they might be there because they seem to feel an uh, obligation to go to every Star's Hollow event ever. They love it. I'm surprised they weren't at Jess's Walmart ceremony, honestly. (laughs) Anytime there's an event, the Gilmore Girls are there. It makes more sense that they're there than Dean's there. Yeah, like Dean and Lindsay are there. Why? Why? We don't know Lindsay. Maybe she loves Poe. Yeah, I don't know anything about Lindsay, but Dean does not seem to be be a Poe fan, okay? I like books and Poe, and I would not go to this either. We don't know that Lindsay doesn't have a cardboard cutout of (laughs) Poe. That's true. Maybe that's... She's super into it. Luke and Nicole are also, for some reason, at this event. Why? Nicole loves theater. She likes Broadway shows. Why is she coming to some rando production in Stars Hollow? I mean, the real reason she's in this scene, though, is because we want to see her give that look to Lorelai, like, stay the hell away from my man, which, honestly, Lorelai probably deserves. Mm-hmm. Lorelai borrows a pen from Nicole, and there's just like, oh, I don't like you look. The pen is a metaphor for Luke's dick. Well, she says, you make sure you give it back. Yeah. <laughs> What's mine is not yours, lady. Also, Lorelai, Rory, and Miss Patty are all just talking at, like, full volume through this entire performance. It's not like a stage whisper. It's just straight up loud talking, and no one cares or seems to notice, I guess. I feel like, Lorelai, maybe you shouldn't go to these events if you're just going to mock and talk loudly through them. Doesn't the Poe even, like, shoot them a look? One of the Poes might shoot them mm, a yes, look. There are many Poes. Yeah, there's many Poes and many readings of the Raven. Apparently, this was like an oops-all-Raven situation. We keep saying many. There were two there was well, there's two that we saw two guys showed up to play poe and they just do the whole thing again yeah uh no one is excited about it again i don't know why anyone went to this thing afterwards outside two of the poe actors get into like a poe fact off fight and kirk has a legit super funny shirt that says 
faux pofos, <laughs> which I'm guessing he had to like print on the fly. Did he bring a portable screen printing kit with him? He makes several in this like one day of an episode. I also want to point out it's funny that he has his Babette shirts now there. And since they're from like that morning or the day before, they're 80% off. <laughs> Kirk is very funny in this scene because afterwards he like goes up to one of the Poe guys and he's like, how can I have a career as a Poe? Which is already funny. But the guy's like, you can't. This isn't a job. And then Kirk just stares at him. And he's like, how can I have a career as a Poe? <laughs> I also liked when the two Poes were fighting. One of them like ripped their wig off yeah. in mid fight. Kirk is a hustler, man. He is constantly hustling. There is no way. There is no way Kirk doesn't end up saving the town or the Gilmore family financially at some point with all his accumulated wealth. I officially am predicting that. Okay. Well, I just feel like it's too big of an offer. It's going to happen. Is anybody a notary? We'll, we'll make it official. Yeah. Oh, we saw Kirk in Suicide Squad. He was the weasel. I recognized his body. <laughs> yeah, you did. That was so weird. The actor who plays Kirk does the body capture for like a weasel character. I was like, those are his narrow little shoulders. And you looked up and it was. I'm imp- I was impressed. Thank you. I know my Kirk's body. Some other important stuff happens in the scene, like Dean wearing an oversized coat that I 100% used to also own, tells Rory that he got into Southern Connecticut State. He got into college. And Lindsay's all like, cool, cool, cool. I've got to go home because I don't like Rory. I don't like that they stopped and talked to them. If it was just Dean, it would make sense. But like, it's so awkward to be like, hey, Rory and her mom, who I'm weird with anyway, here's my girlfriend. We should all talk. Like, It's already weird with Rory and Lindsay. I don't actually mind that he talks to Rory. That doesn't seem that weird to me. But what I actually found was weird is that Lorelai and Rory sort of like suggest that Lindsay's being super cold and maybe isn't as nice anymore. But I feel like she doesn't act that crazy in this scene. She's like, I've got to get home. And like, yeah, maybe she's a little like, let's go home. But like, maybe she had to get home. Yeah, but they're like bringing up the time they went to the Mark Twain Museum and Lindsay like clearly just doesn't want to associate any good memories with Rory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I just felt like her telling that story was weird, though. She, like, couldn't tell it very well. I was yeah. like, yeah, maybe she doesn't give a shit about this old-time story. They're both clearly uncomfortable around yeah. each other, which is relatable. Luke, then, speaking of, like, why did you go talk to her? I don't know where Nicole goes. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. But Luke comes over to Lorelai and starts talking. And Lorelai suggests that Jess might be cutting school to work them sweet Walmart hours. Importantly, I think, Luke reminds us that Jess knows the rule that he has to pass in school if he wants to continue living with Luke. And I think, this is an official prediction, again, I think that Jess is trying to make enough money so he can move out and live on his own. So he doesn't have to go to school to fulfill Luke's rules. You think Jess is going to move out? Yeah. Or at least I think that's his plan. Okay. Get the notary. Officially logged. Later that night, Lorelai gets a phone call from her inn. Apparently it's on fire. No big deal, you know? Uh, she rushes to the scene, the whole staff's there, and the fire chief tells her, well, the good news is that the place is still structurally sound, and they should be able to go back in in 24 hours to get your belongings. Which means that the guests kind of have to hang around for a day with nowhere to stay. No one seems to think to ask the fireman, like, okay, but what's the bad news? Which is what I would have immediately done. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like it maybe wasn't that bad of a fire, so maybe they just weren't thinking there was bad news. I I mean, wouldn't you as the owner be like, how bad is it? I just want to point out, they show it at the end, and it didn't seem that bad. No. It didn't look like it was burnt. It looked like it was a mess. Yeah, I mean, because they probably didn't really burn it. Yeah, I was just like, what? Are we supposed to think this is a bad fire? I mean, it didn't look, it looked like it was going to take time to clean up. Right, but it didn't look like it was not fixable. Right. 
Lorelai then goes into like an actually pretty impressive like triage mode, delegating orders to people and starts helping get her guests taken care of by like calling different hotels. She even says to call the Cheshire Cat Hotel, uh, which is a nice callback to that terrible Harvard episode. Mm-hmm. But so also, I saw someone on Facebook recently say that was their favorite episode. I was like, no, we're not friends. Yeah, sorry if that's your favorite Stop episode. To our podcast. <laughs> I'm kidding. Please don't. But also, isn't the Cheshire Cat, like, not close? Like, they were going to Harvard in that episode. They were kind of randomly driving around, but yeah, I feel like it was at least an hour or two away. Yeah. All those little states are close together. Who knows? She turns to the guests, and she promises them all an exceptional breakfast for all of their troubles, and, like, everyone's like, okay, cool, no problem. I guess they're excited to live like a Poe character for a few days. Hmm. The next morning, Lorelai and her staff just, like, barge into Luke's and just, like, completely take over the restaurant. This must be, like, immediately after. I'm guessing they were all standing outside at, like, 5 a.m. Because where else would they have gone in the meantime? Uh, yeah, that's true. It's just, it is just dark in the scene, and then at Luke's, it's light. And it seems like they didn't have time to give Luke a heads up, but you're right. Yeah, they're not far apart. I feel like the sun came up real quick. Yeah. I mean, maybe they milled around for a few hours where they figured stuff out. But yeah, then they just go to Luke's and just take over like an invading army. Honestly, this scene is absolutely crazy. It had to have been immediately after the fire. Because otherwise they could have told Luke. Yeah, they don't. They just like walk in and they're like, Luke, we're taking over because I got to feed my guests this like sweet meal I promised them. It's so over the top. But the things Suki says are kind of funny. I agree that it's funny, but it's just, like, over-the-top nonsensical. Uh-huh. Suki just walks in the kitchen and just starts shitting all over the food Luke was making. Like, so unnecessarily mean about it, too. She's like, I don't even want to see it. Throw it in the garbage. They cancel all the food his guests had ordered and tell them they're going to make Suki's better food instead. Okay, so Lorelai just, like, assumes that Luke is going to be totally cool with this. And Luke starts to protest, and she's like, just say the word, and I'll leave. But she couldn't have called before she came over? He would have said yes. Yeah, absolutely. But, like, taking over your friend business before you know he's even consented is like sort of crazy let alone super rude and not cool but of course luke just rolls over like he does every single time lorelei bats her little eyes at him i I I hate that about their relationship yeah like i think it's supposed to be like well you know he loves her supports her but he just is like okay whatever i'll go upstairs i guess he gets the day off which is nice but did he say he was gonna go upstairs yeah he said i'll go upstairs like he's not working might as well help Why? Yeah. (laughs) He's probably losing money. Michelle has set up an office work center, and this scene is like actually pretty funny. Miss Patty and Babette are like helping, and I'm putting that in air quotes right now. <laughs> it becomes clear Patty knows nothing about how to answer a phone like a real person. She's like doing characters on the phone. And Babette clearly knows nothing, and I mean nothing about computers. She's just like randomly pressing buttons and then like telling Michelle what's happening. She's like, oh, I pressed two buttons, and now it's freaking out like it's on acid. That was all pretty funny. At this point, Lorelai finds out that there's not enough hotel rooms available at other establishments so she's gonna have to start letting guests bunk with her and the staff and just random townspeople yeah babette says maybe the funniest line she's ever had she's like oh they could stay with me we got cots <laughs> we got cots it's maybe my favorite line of the series so far i want to know that backstory so bad the way she says it is like we got too many cots and there's a story <laughs> yeah i like legit laughed out loud when she said that hard it was funny oh we got cots we got cots <laughs> What happened? Why do they have so many cots? Find out next time. On TikTok. (laughs) Lorelai's like, well, people have to stay with me. And Rory, like, insists that Lorelai keep her bed because she's stressed and that she'll give up her bed so people can stay in that one. More on that later. 
Roy had been entertaining the children by doing a puppet show. When we were watching that scene, I was like, I know every beat of this. Really? I don't know why. It was so forgettable for me. I, I don't, it kind of is, but I don't know. It just it must have been funny to me at the time or something. Huh. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of funny. She's like not good at it. She's all like, I named the sock puppets sock puppets and the kids still love it. Yeah. So the next day at school, class is ending and this teacher, apparently they give little speeches in every class about yeah. getting into college. <laughs> You know, uh, if you haven't gotten your applications back yet, don't worry. Be patient. I know at least one of you got into Harvard. And that in itself is an immense honor. That line to me is telling me that Rory's not going to Harvard. Oh. Because she doesn't say, like, Harvard's a great school. You should be so proud. She says that, like, getting accepted in itself is an accomplishment. Meaning, you don't need to go there, Rory. Like, I don't think she's speaking to Rory. I think she's speaking to the audience. Sure. Paris is MIA, even though, like, Louisa and Madeline apparently did not notice, which is just not believable at all. Rory says it's been, like, five days? It's impossible to not notice that Paris has been gone. For five days? Her friends make some joke, like, oh, I guess it did seem like there was more air in the room. And it was like, okay, well, you guys barely use any air, so <laughs> surprised you noticed. That's what they filled their heads with. Yeah, that's fair. So Rory goes to her place, and it turns out that she's been at home living the pandemic life, you know, <laughs> laying in bed, watching soaps, being sad, slamming an entire box of super fancy-ass chocolates. Nothing wrong with any of that. Nope. <laughs> I get it now. She keeps calling her nanny nanny instead of, like, the nanny or my nanny. Well, the nanny is Fran Drescher. Right. She doesn't want to confuse all of us, right? It's super weird. She's like, I told nanny to hold my calls. Paris has obviously had a meltdown, and she's, like, doesn't know what to do right now with her life. She's apparently told her parents all about having sex with Jamie, but can't bring herself to tell them about Harvard. In fact, she's going to, like, fake that she's at Harvard. That's her plan right now. But we find out the reason she didn't get into Harvard, and this is what I wanted to know, because it seemed like she definitely should have, is that Paris just, like, bombed her interview. And we know that because she recorded it because, of course, she did. With a real tape recorder, not yeah. like Buffy and Angels. A real tape recorder, Kevin McAllister style. Not a talk boy. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. Could have been an updated talk boy. Uh, but in the interview, when she plays it back, she's like talking at 100 miles an hour. She's clearly very nervous. She's talking over the interviewer. It honestly reminded me of like the first time I bombed doing stand-up. You know, it's like, maybe if I talk faster, it'll get better. Apparently, Lorelai's, like, boss mode from the night before, like, rubbed off on her daughter. And so Rory just starts, like, telling Paris to, like, get over it and get your college application shit together. Just goes, like, tough love on Paris. And Paris is all like, okay, I'm going to finish being sad and watch my soaps, and then I'll get on it. Uh, no. Not like, behind the code. Uh, no, I mean, we can pull us out and take a look. Something crazy just happened. Yeah, we had to stop the podcast. Or... Superintendent, you know, from the, the trash throwing. Just knocks on the door. It's always un hard to understand what he's saying. But he's also got a mask on and he's like flustered. He's like, I gotta see water. Is there any water leaking? And we're like, no, what? I guess there's water leaking in the basement and we're on the first floor. We're like, we barely used any water. So he starts like going under the sink, looking at stuff. That's fine. We're kind of like, okay. And then he's like, do you have any water in here? In the room we're doing our podcast in. On the other side of the wall of the kitchen. Like we'd know if there was water under the couch. So he makes us pull the couch out. He says he might have to open the wall. We're like, okay, that sounds kind of painless. Kind of didn't know what he meant by that. I was like, take the baseboards off? No, that just means like straight up, I'm doing hammer to the wall right now. Yeah, so there's just like a four foot gash in our wall now? Yeah. Plaster everywhere? Our cat's like, what the hell's happening? Uh, 
he ran off to the bedroom. He's like, they might have to come back and open it more. I don't know what's wrong. Uh, everything seems fine with the water to us. It's also thunderstorming now. So hopefully that doesn't make situation worse. What was bad was that he would like break the wall and then he'd like put his hand in to look for moisture and wouldn't find any. He'd go, God damn it. And then he'd like break more of the wall and not find moisture and be like, oh, shit. And then break more of the wall. I was like, what if he's just like gone crazy? Yeah. <laughs> like thinks there's something in the wall. Yeah. He didn't really give us a heads up. You know, we're talking about the telltale heart. All of a sudden he's all like, gotta get inside the wall. Um, so we're dealing with that. Yeah, and then he's like, uh, there's a huge problem. They're gonna have to come in and, like, tear up your wall. Maybe tomorrow when someone else is bringing us a new oven. There's a lot going on. I'm pretty sure our kitchen and our living room are gonna be one room by the end of tomorrow. They're just gonna take down this whole wall. I don't hate that idea. No, that actually would be nice. We can watch TV while we do the dishes. Yeah. I'm really actually sad that this is... Ha- it's like, have you seen the movie Mother? Where people just, like, start coming to your house and fucking with it? Yeah, also we're pregnant and... Um, it, it just felt like a nightmare. Like, what? You're just ripping our wall open kind of without consent? I mean, we rent, but, like... We also painted and, like, there's no way the leftover paint we have is enough to cover it or will match because it changes color over time. Yeah, and he and we mentioned that. We're like, oh, so um, can we keep some of that plaster so we get some paint? It's like, oh, just use what you have left over. It's like, dude, you like, have no idea what we have Yeah, why over. would you... Have Assume we have more paint left over. He seemed annoyed, but he's like, just use, you know, your leftover paint. It's a big room. Our superintendent is not like a bad dude. It's just uh, interesting. Okay, well, what are the Gilmore girls up to? So back at the Gilmore house, they're boarding all kinds of refugees from their inn. There's a kid sleeping on the couch, um, which I hope belongs to Fred and his wife, a Poe couple that are staying at their house. Now, they're staying in Rory's bedroom on their twin-ass bed. It doesn't make any sense. I get Rory's niceness of, like, telling her mom she needs her rest, but then, like, Laurel, I should sleep in Rory's bed. Yeah, And they should get the big bed. Rory's the reason this happened, because she insisted her mom's too stressed. I'm like, what about Fred and his family? They're in a stranger's bed. Like, their kid's not even in the same room. They're also stressed. We've seen Lorelai sleep in a chair twice. I think she can handle Rory's twin bed for one night. While the girls are, like, making the bed and preparing the room for Fred and his uh, wife, Lorelai's, like, making a joke about how they didn't seem too excited or energetic to have sex. And I'm just like, they're two adults sleeping on a twin bed. They could turn wrong in their sleep and accidentally have sex. Mm-hmm. Been there. <laughs> but while they're prepping the room, Lorelai finds their pro-cons list and notices that Yale's pro list is super long. Lorelai, though, this whole episode has clearly been trying to get more pros on the Yale list. I don't know if the episode is trying to suggest that that isn't, like, intentional on her part, but it is coming across as intentional. What what do you think? Um, I don't think that that super makes sense. I get that you're saying the episode is saying that, but I think just based on everything before this... I think that Lorelai switched her desire. She wants her daughter to go to Yale because it it's keeps closer. her closer. Yeah, it could be. I, I honestly think it's like super selfish. She Like throughout the episode, she keeps being like, oh, add that to Yale, add that to Yale. And Rory's like, yeah, but I have so much Harvard merchandise. How can I go to Yale with so much Harvard stuff on my wall? I, I really hope that whatever college she goes to teaches her better logical reasoning skills because that isn't a reason to go to a college. I do think, though, Rory also thinks the obvious choice is Yale from the pro-con list. Right. I think she just is having a hard time switching her brain over to, like, my whole life, Harvard, now Yale? Why? But I think I think Rory is making that switch, like, hmm, this does make sense to me. Whereas I legitimately think that Lorelai, whether it's written this way or not, is like, I want my daughter to go to Yale because it's so my interests more. It could be, but she was really anti-Yale. I know, until she read the Yale packet that same night she yelled at her dad. Yeah. 
I mean, she didn't read that Yale packet out of spite. But then after that was the episode at Thanksgiving where she still was upset about her potentially going to Yale. And then Emily reminded her, hey, your daughter will be able to stay home with you. And we saw that Rory was like doing very well at Harvard, just like kind of had no problem speaking up in class there and stuff. I legitimately think this is like a selfish move on Lily Light's part. Anyway, that's my opinion. I feel like it's weird they don't address that. I feel like she needed to have a conversation with somebody else where she shares her true feelings, which are that she's reluctantly saying Yale's important. When really, I think she's embarrassed to point out that she was wrong and she wants this for herself. Suki was busy with that cat this episode. We couldn't hear her true feeling. (laughs) But the Yale list is a lot longer. Well, yeah, if your mom's constantly telling you to put another thing in the pro column. It was like two things. Two things we saw. We didn't see any of the other things they wrote in there. Yeah. Okay, enough Yale talk. So then another family just shows up middle of the night at their front door and is like, hey, you made this whole sleeping over thing sound like so good. We decided to stay. Is that cool? Where have they been? Yeah. Like they were just wandering around town in the darkness this whole time. How did they know her address? It's possible she gave that out because it was such a crazy situation. Yeah. But this whole thing is insane that they're showing up at night. Like, can we stay somewhere? They didn't call before coming. Why is no one calling before they go somewhere? So now Lorelai has to give up her bed. And honestly, I hope that family fucked in her bed. I hope they did. Yeah. So Lorelai just then just like walks around town with a pillow until she goes to Luke's. Because of course she's going to go to Luke's and she doesn't understand boundaries for friendships. She like wakes him up by throwing stones at his window. This scene is actually really funny. She wakes him up, but then some old lady, it looks like someone from like Trix's uh, old bitty club, opens her window and starts shouting at them and like won't go back inside of her apartment until they go away. Mrs. Slutsky. Looks like, go back to bed. And she doesn't. And then Lorelai yells up to Luke, like, throw down your keys. But then the old woman's like, I will not. <laughs> and then she just stays there until they go inside. Also, when Lorelai was first throwing rocks, she shouted Stella. Yeah. Which is kind of funny because remember, Luke came over to her house to look for Stella the bird. Oh. And now she's coming to his house. Well, she's referencing Streetcar Named Desire. Yes, but so was that episode. Yeah, you're absolutely right. At the same time, Rory is staying at Lane's. Lane is just having one of those pre-bedtime phone conversations with her Phobo, Young Chu. That's another Kirk t-shirt opportunity. Phobo. Phobo. Uh, It's an awfully intimate and friendly combo. Lane is oblivious that Young Chu is in love with her and avoiding breaking up their fake relationship. Rory, like, calls her on it. She's like, he's asking about your math test. Obviously, he's in love. If I ask you about your math test and how it went, that's proof that I am either, like, totally in love with you or I am incredibly bored by you. You've never asked me about my math test. What does that mean? You're not boring, and I don't know where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) The problem that Lane finds herself in is that Young Chu has to be the one to break up with her or else her ruse with her mom won't work and she won't be able to date Dave. To be continued on this. Then Jess shows up at the window for one of those, you know, young teen window rendezvous you see in all the teen dramas. And this show. And Clarissa explains it all. And Dawson's Creek. And a bunch. You have seen Dawson's Creek. One episode, a few times, a few seasons. Rory asks him, (laughs) Rory asks him about school and he admits he's skipping like a little bit. But not too much. He's just like really smart and doesn't need to go all the time. Then Miss Kim catches him at the window, and she takes it, like, real lightly, I feel like. She's like, why is he here? This is funny. Lane's like, he was borrowing something. Just, like, hands him a random object from the room. (laughs) He's like, thank you. Yeah. But I just, like, don't believe that Miss Kim would not be outraged that a boy is at the window at bedtime. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess she knows who he is. But still, even if it's Rory's boyfriend, I don't think she'd approve of him being there at bedtime. Yeah, it just seems like super sus for Miss Kim. That's one step away from just crawling right in that window. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's still a biblical sin to be doing that. Mm. Fenestrating. (laughs) 
Is that? Re-fenestrating? Yeah. <laughs> I just want to point out, everyone that's staying at Lorelai's house is wearing the Babette ate oatmeal shirts. Yeah. Like, why are these people buying these shirts? He may have uh, sold them to Lorelai at a bulk cost. I guess. I guess they couldn't get their stuff, so maybe yeah. they needed pajamas. I think that was the idea. The timing of all this is a little weird because, like, while Jess is at Lane's, meanwhile, Lorelai is getting ready for bed at Luke's. He's getting his bed ready for her because she, in a scene we didn't see, guilted him into giving up that bed and making him sleep on the couch. Again, just abusing their friendship over and over again. It, it's, like, weird that she, like, is, like, trying to get him to absolve her for taking the bed when she, like, made him. It's weird she'd make him give her the bed in the first place. You already, like, barged in take the couch. You already took over his shop today. You insisted you didn't need a bed to Rory. And then she goes on to brag about how well she delegated stuff today. Which she did do well, but still. Yeah, he's like, go to sleep. She's like, I can't. I'm just so exhilarated from how awesome I am. I know. It's like, what is this? You're not coming off great in this episode. Nicole calls. Luke talks to her, but doesn't mention that Lorelai's sleeping over, which, you know, is a red flag. Turns out, Nicole's cold look at Lorelai at the Raven reading was exactly what it looked like. She doesn't trust Lorelai because Luke talked about Lorelai too much on their first date. And, you know, because Nicole's 100% right. I mean, look at what's happening right now. Like, if Lorelai were to come and be like, do you mind just, like, breaking up with your girlfriend for me? He would just immediately do it. Yeah, I mean, they are friends. He sees her probably three times a day. It makes sense that he would talk about her. But, like, she was also talking to him when Nicole showed up for their first date. Yeah. Wearing the shirt that she bought for him. Yeah, totally. He probably mentioned that in the date, too. Like, oh, she bought this for me. But anyway, sleeping next to Luke's alarm clock apparently reminds Lorelai about the dream she had in episode one. You know, the one where Luke is living with her and fathering her babies. So she casually mentions this romantic-ass dream to Luke. All of this is, ironically, probably Nicole's actual nightmare. Lorelai is just so weird, right? She's like, why did you lie to your girlfriend when we sleeping over? By the way, I had a dream about us fucking and having kids and being happy together. Like, come on. Is she like stopped short of telling him that they kissed in the dream? Yeah, but they're having kids. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, are they pretty womaning? Have they not kissed in her? <laughs> yeah, it's not romantic if you don't kiss. Lorelai has some trouble sleeping so that we can have a scene of Luke and Jess snoring. But I also don't understand. Yeah, when did Jess come home? Yeah, when did Jess come home? He's probably like, oh, you're sleeping with her now? Yeah. We knew that was coming. But they're both snoring. They both sleep in the same room, which is what I don't understand. Why do Luke and Jess sleep in the same room? Yeah, they remodeled. Didn't Luke break down their wall much like our super just did? Are we going to have to start sleeping in the same room? No, I hope not. Ugh. The next day, Luke and Suki are getting along like very well at the diner. Apparently, they accidentally created some amazing Cajun eggs Benedict the day before. Doesn't make sense because Luke wasn't going to help her. Yeah, he went upstairs. Okay, so what? whatever. They respect each other now or whatever. Okay, sure. Amy Chapardino, that's not your name. It's pretty close. Jess comes down and announces he's going to school early because he's got a lab project and he's got to meet with his team. Now I'm wondering, is this a real thing? Or is this just a show he's putting on for Luke and the Gilmores? Everybody here is worried about me. I'm going to put him at ease so no one bothers me about my real goals. I think he's just putting on a show and he's going to Walmart for some extra hours. Okay. No, I mean, I also agree with you. There's no way he's going to school early. He can't just lie and say he's going to work before school because you don't just like go to Walmart to work for an hour. He could say he's just leaving for about an hour so that his new girlfriend Lorelai and he can have sex. Luke's with Suki now. <laughs> Lukey. I'm shipping Lukey. <laughs> Then the fire chief calls and say they can re-enter. The Poe Society is so grateful for everything Lorelai's done. They give her a dead stuffed raven. Mm. She loves it. Uh, she doesn't. 
She shows up with the staff. She starts giving orders again, really hoping they might be able to get it open for dinner. But the fire chief is like, uh, you might want to go inside first. And they do, and it's just devastated. And by devastated, I mean, like, it looks messy. Like, there's some tarps over the counter. <laughs> the lights are off. And the chairs are stacked for some reason. Like, they didn't even, like, try to make it look singed. I mean, it, it doesn't look good. Like, I, I buy that it's supposed to look damaged. Yeah. I just, I felt like the way they were acting, it was like, we'll never open again. Yeah, this final scene is pretty cool, though, because it jumps between Lorelai and her staff, like, walking sadly through the burnt inn, while Rory is, like, seeing her room, which is now filled with a ton of Yale flags and merchandise, and a pro-cons list for Yale on the wall, and a Kirk-certified t-shirt that says Rory's going to Yale. It's a pretty good scene. It, I might have had a tear come to my eye. I don't know. There's also maybe leaking happening in the apartment. It might have been leaking. Oh, I didn't know. No, it's it's nice. Even though, again, I've said that I think Lorelai's doing it for selfish reasons. I don't necessarily think that. I have a problem with how the hell this happened. Right. The question is who put all that stuff up, right? And when? I've seen people talk about this on the internet. Like, someone I think speculated it was Jess. No, Jess didn't know any of this. Lorelai's the only one that knew that they had kind of decided she should go to Yale. Well, you know what? What? Jess did say, like, I gotta go before anybody else. And then he snuck into the room where those people were cuddling in Rory's bed and... No, they were at the diner. Oh. So it's possible that... He didn't go to Walmart or school? Right. His group project was a two-person group, him and Lorelai, and he did all the work. Ugh, that is interesting, but... I don't think he knew th- about the pro-consulates conversation. Well, I mean, it's possible Lorelai told him they were in the same room all night. That's true. Because what doesn't make sense for me, okay, I don't think it was the couple. That would be insane. Well, that's what I was going to argue, but I want to hear your point of view first. The couple would just be like, oh, I see a pro-consulate here. She really loves Yale. Let's run to Yale, grab some stuff, put it on the wall, and let ourselves out. I don't think it's crazy that Lorelai could have gone to that couple staying in Rory's room and said, listen, like, everything's free, and your next day at the inn is free if you... You can just put this stuff up in this room. The problem for me, regardless of who did it, is how did they get all the Yale stuff? Well, I'm guessing that Lorelai got it. When? There's all kinds of times unaccounted for. No. We don't see Kirk after the Raven (laughs) thing. And he printed those shirts for Lorelai. So it's not inconceivable that Lorelai was like, Kirk, I need you to go get this Yale stuff. I'll pay you. I'll buy all your shirts. Yeah, I guess that's true. But- that we would explain why all of the people at the end have his shirts. But Lorelai doesn't see the pro-cons list until they're tucking in the people. She doesn't acknowledge that she sees the pros and cons list. Like I've been saying, I think she knew all along. Yeah. Let's say she doesn't know about it until then, though. Because then it's okay. like, it's bedtime, and then it's like very early morning when they go to the inn, and Rory goes to her bedroom. There's just like not a lot of time in there where Lorelai could have like driven to Yale, and their gift shop's probably not open after like 10 p.m. or before 6 a.m. You're right that the timing here is very suspect. I think there are ways around it, but you're you're right. It's, it's very unclear. But yeah, you're right. She could have sent someone, perhaps. We also set up that Laura, like, couldn't sleep. So she might have just been like, screw it. I'm going to get up and yeah. go decorate her room. But it also could have been Jess because he did wake up early with somewhere to go. Mm-hmm. I like that theory, but I feel like we need more information to know that that's true. Uh, no, I totally agree with you. It's very unclear, and it would be nice if they had sort of hinted at it. Okay. Also, very important, Papaya the cat is still alive. What do you think this means? Which thing? The Papaya comes and stands by Lorelai, and Lorelai sadly stares at her burnt in holding Papaya. 
I think it means two things. One, I think it was to the audience. Don't worry, guys. Papaya's not dead. Mm. And two, I think it's like, there's hope. Okay. I don't necessarily agree with the first thing, because otherwise, why does papaya exist? That's a good point. So what do you think it means? I think it might mean, because they say papaya's a stray, and that, like, Suki's taking care of it. Like, they specifically say papaya's a stray. So I think it might mean, like, Lorelai's a bit of a stray now, that her inn is a little messed up. Oh, Sure. Like, she doesn't really know what her next move is. Because it's interesting that she picks it up, not Suki. Right. Did she adopt papaya? Papaya. That's the second fruit cat. What was the first one? Apricot. Oh, yeah. Babette's cat is apricot. So, Stacey, I gotta know, did you think this is a good episode? I did. Yeah. Yeah, um, I didn't remember it much, but I, I really enjoyed it. I feel like there's definitely some flaws with, like, time, but that seems to be always the case. And I hear what you're saying about Luke being... Not the best role model for Jess or, or like role model is not even the right word. Just like he's messing him up psychologically. <laughs> but I still enjoy that their relationship exists at all. Like it's always fun scenes when they're together. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily agree with you with Lorelai's selfish yell motivations. But wh- whoever did the yell thing, I, it was definitely orchestrated by Lorelai. I feel like we wouldn't have seen her specifically give Rory pros to put in the yell column. But I think the show would then explore that Rory maybe doesn't really want to go to Yale. I think she does. Okay. And I think then you could say that Lorelai knows that and is giving in to Rory. Absolutely. I think that this could have been Lorelai's way of letting her daughter know that she's okay with her going to Yale. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. it's less of a, oh, I want you to go to Yale just for me. I think it is, you know what, I am okay with you going to Yale because it does benefit me. That's why that last scene was so nice because- She's helping Rory. Yeah. And she now is in a tough spot. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right that the show is trying to tell us that it isn't selfish. But it just, that's how it reads to me. And I'm not going to change my opinion. I mean, that's that's how it reads to me. I, I, most listeners are probably going to say, no, it was a sweet thing. And I get that. I mean, I was sad at the end, like, tearing up, not sad at the end, but like. The apartment's leaking. <laughs> exactly. This is a really fun town episode. Yeah. Like, Kirk had some great stuff. Yeah. Miss Patty. Michelle had a lot of scenes. Michelle had a lot of funny lines. This is a funny episode. This is uh-huh. a consistently funny episode. And also that Babette line. Oof. So funny. There was no Richard and Emily. It was just all Stars Hollow. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was great. Yeah, I did too. So which episode do you think was better, Brian? I'm torn. Uh, but if I'm being honest, I think I have to lean Gilmore maybe. Interesting. Yeah, I just the emotional aspect at the end, I think, is what did it for me. Because Gilmore was funnier, I think. That doesn't always make it a better episode. But it was funnier, and the emotional part of the end, I feel like, sold it for me. What do you think? I was going to go Buffy. I don't know. I just thought the twist in Buffy was great. Yeah. Like, it was just very entertaining. I love, you know, Evil Angel. Yeah. Hate Regular Angel. I don't hate Regular Angel, but I just don't find him interesting. Where Evil Angel, I'm like, I get you. I don't get... I just... I like him. (laughs) He plays that character better. I agree. I don't find Mopey Angel interesting. But both were good. It's kind of a hard one. When you get this late in the season, I feel like Buffy at this point has laid all the groundwork. So they're pretty good consistently. And I think Gilmore generally is just good consistently. Yeah, I mean, I liked this Gilmore so much. But I think I was just, because I had seen it, mm-hmm. nothing was shocking. And maybe that's how it was for me with Buffy. Yeah. Like, I knew he was going to turn. So it wasn't, like, surprising. Yeah, exactly. Okay, if you want to watch along next week, we're going to be watching Gilmore Girls Season 3, Episode 18, Happy Birthday, Baby. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 3, Episode 18, Earshot, which was originally not aired on TV. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Who 
put the Yale merchandise out. Do you think Lorelai is selfishly telling Rory to go to Yale? Do you think Buffy has a right to be like angry or upset with Angel? Is Faith Switch too much for you? Yeah, was it too quick? What's going on with Giles? Why is he snacking so much? You think Kirk's a millionaire? What do you think's wrong with our wall? Let us know. You can reach out to us by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post all kinds of interactive and behind-the-scenes content. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We love hearing from you, and it helps us connect with more Buffy and Gilmore fans. And if you leave a review, we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. For even more comedy content not related to the podcast, be sure to follow us at Brian and Stacy. That's Brian with a Y, Stacy with an E-Y. That's right. We also make comedy sketches, play board games, and review movies in a similar style to our podcast. For all of that and more, please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. If social media is not your thing, you can send us an email at Brian and Stacy. Reviews at gmail.com. Okay, I get can we use our kitchen? What what even do we do now? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I want to make food, but I'm scared to to make food. <laughs> I hope we have an apartment next week. Maybe we'll have a new one. Bye. 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 Bye.